You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be reacting to Edu's exclusive interview with Sky Sports in which he defended Arsenal's summer transfer policy. We're going to be getting in to the ins and outs of what the Brazilian had to say. We're also going to be getting your thoughts and questions from the live chat box. So lots and lots to get through on today's show. A uh, big good afternoon to those of you who are currently watching us live and a big hello to, of course, those of you who will be watching this back or who will be listening to it a little bit later on. Uh, let me just address the elephant in the room for our video viewers before we get into this. Yes, my beard has gone. Um, I've forgotten what my chin looked like. I found myself sitting there like, playing with my beard when I was watching TV, like twisting it. And I was starting to get annoyed at myself that I kept doing that. So I decided yesterday when I went down to the barbers uh, to get rid of it, still haven't got rid of all the stubble because if I do, I look about 11 and that isn't good. Uh, but yeah, uh, had to make sure that uh, I got rid of it gave my skin some space to breathe or whatever you want to say. Uh, but yeah, much needed. And I, I just wanted to address that. If you're listening on the audio, you probably couldn't care less. But there are people in the chat box already mentioning it uh, just a couple of minutes into the live show. So thought I'd address that elephant in the room. Right, let's uh, discuss Edu's interview. Of course, the Arsenal man has fronted up uh, to the cameras, sat down with Sky's dress. Jeff, Jeff Shreves uh, to discuss Arsenal's summer recruitment because there's been a lot of noise about it. You know, we've talked about it here. Is it the right way to go? Well, in terms of strategy, it probably is. Um, is it the right way to go? Maybe I've, I've phrased that wrong. I think Arsenal needed a strategy, but it remains to be seen whether this is the right strategy and whether this is how we're going to move forward. So we've got to we've got to see both sides here. And a lot of people don't want to do that at the moment. And it's it's quite frustrating. You know, I was just on the Guna talk with with um with Tom Canton, and we were talking about the whole negativity around the football club at the moment. And we were talking about um, you know, we were talking a lot about how people kind of interact on social media and how I think that people have a greater responsibility to be a little bit more careful in their wording of stuff, uh, to, you know, to, to talk to people in the way that they would talk to them if they saw them face to face. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the little story, um, on, uh, on the Guna Talk TV, which I'll just quickly tell you guys before we, we go into the Edu stuff. I know I'm digressing a little bit, but I'm just literally reeling off my thoughts here. Um, so the story I told Tom was was at the game against Chelsea at Emirates Stadium. Somebody who had given me a lot of grief on on social media and on on YouTube over the last year or so, to the point where they weren't even having conversations with me. They weren't discussing things. It was literally calling me this, calling me that. Uh, came up to me at Emirates Stadium uh, before the game against Chelsea, before kickoff, and said, "Hi, mate. I'm a listener of the podcast." 
uh, great work. Thank you so much for doing it. And then said, uh, oh, by the way, I am, and I'm not going to name them. I am so-and-so on uh, social media. And I looked at him and, and my mind just kind of clicked. And I was like, you are one of the guys that literally does not conversate, does not discuss, does not respect fellow Arsenal fans, does not uh, listen to the views of others in the chat box. And, you know, and, and he's constantly calling out people, calling them names, calling them everything under the sun, basically. And now you are coming up to me as though we're best mates. And it was kind of like, well, like, what do you want here? Like, are you expecting me to say, let's go for a beer? Like, I, I couldn't really get my head around what this person wanted. And, and what I find strange is not that they came up and they said, you know, positive things about the podcast and all of that. What I find strange is that it's so clear that this person is so not self-aware, so unaware of the way he talks to people, the way it comes across. And, and I just thought, you know what, like... I'm all right, mate. I'll leave it. Uh, but thanks. And I, and I, I, and I left, I walked off, but for me, it's just, you know, it's just amazing how, how many people are just unaware of their actions and the way they talk and the way they act and the consequences of the way they talk and the way they act. And I think that is having a massive impact, um, on, on the way football fans are interacting with each other on social media. I think there are people who on Twitter seem like absolute monsters and then you meet them in real life and they're the nicest people. And, and I think this is the danger of, of people not acting in the way they should on social media that we're sometimes, and in my case, maybe in this guy's case, misjudging someone's character based on something that I've seen them do on social media, but ultimately your social media is a reflection of you. And so you should be respectable to people. Um, you know, you are respectful to people. You should talk to people how you wish to be spoken to. And, and that's a, a lesson to learn because I don't want to know that person who might be a really nice person, but I don't want to know them because of what I've seen on social media. And, uh, and that's, that's the issue. But anyway, let's get into the Edu stuff. I only brought that up because we were talking about it with Tom just now on the Guna Talk TV and it was fresh in my mind. And I thought it was worth just mentioning on the show, uh, as to how we got to be mindful, uh, of the way we communicate on social media, because it is not only having a detrimental impact on the relationships that we have with other Arsenal fans, other football fans, other people in general, but it's also showing to a younger generation in many ways that that is acceptable and it absolutely is not. And I think it's important that uh, we who are maybe a little bit older, uh, you know, set the example and set the bar and call that out when it happens and, and make it clear that a lot of your communication in life now will come via social media. Therefore, it has to be a true reflection of yourself. And it doesn't mean that because it's not face to face, you can cross lines and you can go over the top. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to make that point. Again, I've wasted a few minutes of the podcast. I do apologise, but felt it needed to be said. Right, let's talk about Edu's interview. So, as I mentioned, Edu sat down, didn't he, uh, with Sky Sports' Jeff Shreves uh, to discuss the club's transfer policy after their very, very poor start to the season. We've been discussing it uh, over and over again. We've questioned whether it's enough to see Arsenal improve instantly. And I think a lot of us agree that there is a major concern that despite the fact that Arsenal clearly have a strategy, it might not be the right strategy. And we're not actually going to know if it was the right strategy until a little bit further down the line. 
Edu's fronted up. Fair play to him. As fans, we're always asking for transparency. We're always asking for communication. And you can't say he hasn't done that. He has taken the opportunity uh, to speak, to, uh, as I say, front up uh, and, and explain and discuss a little bit about what Arsenal are doing. And of course, Jeff Shreves uh, put it to Edu. He said, what can you tell me about Arsenal's transfer window? And the thinking behind it, the club has spent the most money of any Premier League club, but the Arsenal fans are underwhelmed. Now, I get irritated when I hear this because you look at that table that is on your screens right now. Yes, Arsenal are the biggest Premier League spenders with £156.8 million. But Manchester United, who have spent £133.7 million, have done that on what? Three players? Manchester City, who have spent £100 million, have done that on one player. Chelsea. Uh, you know, have done it, uh, have done a massive amount on Lukaku, okay? They've sold some players and recuperated some of that. Aston Villa, £93 million. Arsenal spending £156 million has seen us bring in six players. And that is, that is significant. You know, to turn around essentially half of a team in a, in a summer is, is a big thing. And, you know, I'm not saying all of those players are going to start, but it's a, a big amount of play. So actually... If you work that out, if you average it, you know, so let's say, look, we bought in six players. It was 156.8 million pounds. You divide that by the six players. On average, we've spent 26 million pounds across those six players. That is not outrageous money. That is not outrageous spending. But people are making it out as though we've had this incredibly ambitious window that has seen us not improve the side at all. Well, actually, Arsenal are improving the squad. And if you want to be in the top six, if you want to be in the top four, actually spending an average of £26 million on a player is not massively crazy. Are they good enough? We don't know yet. Okay, you don't know. I don't know. Is Ramsdale good enough to go on and become Arsenal's number one in the future? None of us know that. Ben White has potential. How much of that will he fulfill? Again, nobody knows that. Nobody knows how good Martin Odegaard's going to be if he's given a full season in the Premier League. Nobody knows the role that Lekonga will play moving forward. We can guess, we can anticipate, but it's all hearsay. And that's my point here. Let's not say the window was a failure until it proves to be a failure. Equally, we shouldn't pretend that it dramatically improves the team today. I think there is a middle ground to be found when discussing Arsenal's transfer window and discussing Arsenal's transfer policy. But it's a middle ground that for some reason nobody wants to set foot on. People want to be very one way or the other. It's a complete failure or it's a complete success. And and that's where I'm getting a little bit frustrated in talking about this over and over again. But as I say, Edu was asked to, uh, questions about this. He said, look, I understand the reasons because firstly, they have not seen the team playing together yet. Key point from the interview that Edu very much playing the, well, we haven't had everyone available card. And look, whether you think that that is a valid excuse for Arsenal's start to the season is kind of neither here nor there because the facts are that the team hasn't been available. When you think about the game we're going to play against Norwich next weekend, I can probably guess that Three of the back four are going to change. That Thomas Partey is going to come into the midfield. You might see Alexander Lacazette starting. And, and that means that it's a very, very different team. You're talking about four or five players different, maybe five different to what we saw in any of those opening games. And that makes a big, big difference to a team. You know, it's a significant proportion of it. When you think about a team having 11 players, if you're talking about five, you're talking about just less than half 
of the team. And that is a significant difference. So again, I'm not saying it's definitely going to work. I'm not saying that all of these signings are definitely going to come off, that they're all definitely right, that Arsenal are on the right path and within two, three seasons we'll be winning the Premier League. It's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, and I've said this earlier in the summer, you can never truly judge the success of a transfer window until you have some time or enough time to look back on it and reflect. And we've had zero time to reflect because a lot of these players have not been able to come into the side and make an impact. When they have, we've had others missing, which has had a negative impact. If you think about last summer's transfer window, you know, we went into it, we'd won the FA Cup. Everybody was really positive. Mikel Arteta went and got Gabriel, who's a very good centre-back, and he went and got Thomas Partey. And lots of us were sitting here, not just us, but pundits, people on the TV, and they, they were sitting there and they were saying, Mikel Arteta has finally addressed two areas that Arsenal fans, uh, sorry, that Arsenal managers prior to him in Unai Emery and Arsene Wenger just couldn't get right, just would not get right. We brought in Thomas Partey, that dominating central midfielder, and we brought in a dominating centre-half. And what happened? Gabriel missed significant periods of the season with injuries. Um, and when he came back from the first injury, I think his form dipped. I think that Thomas Partey, obviously, aside from his injuries, even when he was fit, his form was very, very up and down. And therefore, you could have said at that point when those transfers were done, when the deals were signed, that yes, we'd had an incredibly good window. And yes, we weren't bringing in bags and bags and tons and tons of players. And we weren't doing this massive overhaul, but we were signing players in the right positions only for them not to really take us onto that next level. And that's what I'm saying. There are a lot of factors, fitness, injuries, um, people being unavailable for other reasons, personal reasons. COVID-19 is a new thing that we're having to contend with in the world of football. So the point I'm trying to make is you can never really assess whether a transfer window was successful until further down the line. And I will be the first one if in a year's time we look at this team and we go, whoa, you know, we made some real cock ups here. We brought some really bad players in here for some really crazy money. I'll be the first one to say they were mistakes. But how can you actually make that judgment when they've not really played yet, when they've not really featured enough yet for you to gauge where they're at and how they'll improve or not improve the team. So I think you do need to be conscious of that. I, I really do. I think it's um, I think it's one of those things where you can have an opinion on it and I have an opinion on it. My opinion is clear. I think I understand what the club are trying to do. I understand where they're trying to go with it, but I also don't think it's enough to see us leap into the top four now. So that's my view on it at this moment in time. But that view can change. It is a fluid situation. And I think as fans right now, we're, you know, we're we're often calling people out who change their mind as being flip-flops. Is that the term that people use? Um, no, you know, that that's not. You, you, the evidence in front of you changes and therefore your opinion should change. If you're stubborn and you stick to an opinion without allowing it to ever change, without allowing new evidence that presents itself to impact your thinking, then actually you're single-minded, you're stubborn, and you're not really going to get anywhere because you need to, in all aspects of life, be open-minded about everything. So for me, um, I am going to reserve full judgment on it, but obviously my initial gut feel and my initial opinion is what I said, that I don't think it's enough at this moment in time to see us push on. 
Um, and this is a great point from the modern Guna. Imagine if in science no one changed their mind. We would still be in the Stone Age. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, people thought the world was flat, didn't they? Imagine that guy. Uh, imagine those people who said that the, you know, who didn't want to accept that the world was round. I mean, that's what I mean. As new evidence comes, as new things come to the surface, you can change your opinions and you should change your opinions. It's as with many things in life, situations are fluid uh, in football and you need to be open minded enough to move with that and not be so kind of set in your opinion that you're just going to dismiss everything and anything else around it. But let's go back to what Edu actually had to say. And he talked a little bit about the fact that Arsenal had managed to renew the contracts of Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli a year ago uh, with the intention to get that kind of base in our team. He talked a lot about uh, providing a structure. Um, he talked a lot about providing... Uh, you know, a base. And he he basically hinted, he didn't go as far as saying it necessarily, or maybe he did in a kind of roundabout way, but he didn't go as far as saying, actually, the core of this team was crap when we took it over. And now we're in a place where we have to completely overhaul it. And that is going to take time. And, and he urged Arsenal fans and, you know, people watching on to have some patience and to give them the opportunity and to judge the team when the team that they intend to play was actually playing. Um, you know, he said that maybe in the future we'll be in a place where we're basically signing just one or two players in the window because the core, the foundation and the structure is there. But he made it very clear that the view of those uh, in the top jobs at the club, uh, you know, were were not happy with what was there and were not happy with what was um, at Mikel Arteta's disposal. So um, that's, that's what Edu had to say on that. Uh, there was a lot of talk about sort of being left with players on high wages with no sell-on value from a previous regime. He talked about Willian, uh, Jeff Shreves, and the fact that his contract was terminated. And uh, Edu said, we've had 21 players exit over the last year. So there's obviously a mass exodus going on at Arsenal. And in many ways, it needs to happen, doesn't it? Because in order for Arsenal to bring in the new blood, in order for Arsenal to create space and, and finance, to be able to change the team and change the direction of the team, people have to go. And sometimes, as we've seen, when you've got people that nobody wants to bloody sign, you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to let people go in cut price deals. You're going to have to accept loans with obligations to buy. You're going to have to accept, in some case, just loan deals just to get those people out the door because nobody wants to buy something that is undesirable. Okay. If you've got a kitchen table, do you want another kitchen table? What are you going to do with it? Do you want a kitchen table that's more expensive than the kitchen table you have that is worse, that is smaller, that doesn't fit enough of you to sit around it? No, you don't. You you only want to buy stuff that's desirable. And it's more so now than ever during the COVID pandemic, clubs, especially on the continent where they don't have... Um, the funds that that we get from the Premier League TV revenue who have been more impacted by the COVID pandemic are simply not willing to take risks on a lot of the players that we're trying to shift because of their high wages. And that, again, is a consequence of Arsenal giving them too much in the first place. You know what? There's a lot of negative comments in the chat, but I am going to ignore them moving forward. So you can keep writing them. You can keep chucking them in. I don't care anymore. Um, I'd rather the show was better for those of you that do actually want to listen and do actually um, do actually want to 
you know, have a, a good discussion. That's that's what I'm interested in. Uh, the, I'm more focused on that now. So you, you can call me everything you want in the in the comments. I, I honestly couldn't care less. I've got so much going for me. I'm not bothered, uh, honestly. I genuinely aren't, and I shouldn't spend time on it. Uh, moving on, um, Jeff Shreve's kind of made the point that the problem for Arsenal fans you know, from the six signings we've made is that probably only one or two of them would go in the first team. So how much has this window improved the first team? And it do referred again uh, back to the strategy. He said, you see the strategy for every single name. I can explain you the reasons. He said, for example, Aaron Ramsdale is a very good player and has the potential to be a big part of the team in the future. So a little bit vague in his reasoning around Aaron Ramsdale is what we expected him to say. Um, but my point is, that Edu, you know, he kept referring to the core. He kept referring to the strategy. He kept referring to the base, the structure. And it's clear that Arsenal didn't feel that was the right way. But what I will say is fair play to Jeff Shreves because he really did, um, you know, he really did press Edu. And I think he asked all the right questions. I know a lot of people in the media have been, uh, you know, critical of, of Arsenal uh, in recent times. And they've been critical of some of the journalists as well that cover Arsenal saying that, why don't you people ask him the right questions? Why don't you people really push and press for the information that we as fans really want to hear? And you've got to say fair play to Jeff Shreves. Um, and I think it's probably easier for him because he's not an Arsenal reporter as such. He is a football Premier League reporter. And so I think he was a little bit less worried about kind of overstepping the mark and maybe damaging a relationship that is key to his work. So he he pressed Edu, you know, and he said that, you know, so they are, if you like, at the moment reserves. He said, you can only really say that Martin Odegaard and Ben White will be expected to be first team starters. So of the six, only two will improve. And Edu went on to talk about the fact that we suffered last year because we lost players and we were never really able to replace them. And I agree with that. And, and I think we've talked about it before. I, I said it earlier on in the window that for me, yes, you want to see those big blockbuster signings coming in that really take the team to a new level instantly. But what you also need is you need players to backfill positions when players are unavailable. You can talk about what a great signing Thomas Partey was, but if he's unavailable, you have to have the players in place to accommodate that and to make up for that and to plug that hole and to do it well. And I think Sambi Lokonga, in terms of the way he passes the ball forward and he's progressive in that sense, is a better replacement for Thomas Partey than Danny Sabayos was or than Mohamed Elneny will be. So, I can see that. I understand the logic. You look at Tavares, he came in as a left back, you know, a player who, you know, we know is still a little bit raw and we know that we need to, um, you know, to push him to another level uh, to be able to kind of trust in him week in, week out in the Premier League. But we also know that Kieran Tierney is likely to break down. And one of my criticisms of Arteta last season was allowing, despite what had gone on in the past, allowing Sayer Kolasinac to leave without, worrying about what was going to happen in the event Kieran Tierney got injured. We tried playing right backs at left back, didn't work. And we tried playing Granit Xhaka at left back, which definitely didn't work. So I think Arsenal have backfilled a lot of positions this summer. And I think those backfill players are going to be needed and, and they're going to be called upon. And you can call them reserves if you like, but football is a squad game now. So I understand the logic. I really do. 
But is the decision to spend the 158 odd million or whatever we said it was, um, you know, on, on six players, is that the right way to do it? Or were Arsenal going to progress quicker if we signed, you know, for argument's sake, three players who were worth 50 million pounds? rather than six with an average price of like 25, 26 million. So that's that's the question. And again, I'll go back to that point because I do genuinely firmly believe this. You can't really make that that judgment and you can't really be sure one way or the other until further down the line. I mean, would you say last summer's transfer window was a success? I think you'd say no. When you look at the fact that Arsenal didn't improve on their league position, the way we collapsed in the Europa League, the way we didn't really make a fight of any of the cup competitions, you would argue that actually last summer's business didn't take us up to another level. But at the time, bringing in Gabriel and Thomas Partey seemed like great business. So that's my point here. You need to give it time, take a step back, and you can judge the window fully further down the line. How can you judge a transfer window two weeks after it's happened? You can have an opinion at that point, but that opinion might not necessarily be valid further down the line. And that's the point here. Uh, also, Edu uh, was talked uh, was was talking with Jeff about uh, the results. He said, uh, you know, Jeff Shree said to him, do you feel as accountable for the results as the playing and management staff right now? He said, look, we have different responsibilities. Um he goes, we're never going to be there uh, sort of telling Mikel who should play and what system he should set them up in, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's absolutely right. You know, that's the coach's job. That's the coach's responsibility. I think we've been quite quick to criticise clubs in years gone by who have had a management structure whereby they forced certain players uh, to be selected because of what the club spent on them. And we've seen that result in a breakdown in a relationship between the manager and the director of football, just for an example. Um, I think you you should have a coach in place that you trust. Uh, you know, whether we should be still trusting in Mikel Arteta, again, I accept he's up for debate. But, you know, Edu will obviously say that it's Mikel Arteta's job. Um, but, you know, he, he, he didn't shy away from the responsibility around the direction in which the club, um, you know, are travelling. Now, the one bit that did really irritate me a little bit was uh, was when Edu was asked, if all the players are fit, what do you think this squad should be capable of this season? Is it top four? Is it top six? What's realistic? Now, I know that Edu did not want to commit to a target because he knows that if he does and we fail to meet that target, then all hell is going to break loose. I mean, look at the carnage online around Arsenal right now. Can you imagine what it would be like if Edu said oh, this squad, if everybody was fit, should be in the top four and then we finish eighth again? You know, people will be up in arms. So I understand his reluctance to give a definitive answer on this, but he says, you know, I don't want to go top four or top six or top eight or top 10. I'm just really looking forward to seeing this squad play together. I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone fit. I want to see our squad because I don't see it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it because I believe and Mikel believes that this team can have a good season. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that was Edu kind of giving a politician's answer and dancing around that question a little bit. The objectives might not be out there for us to see and for us to hear 
Um, and I understand why that is, as I've mentioned, you know, nobody wants to give a definitive target and then fail to meet it and then be held accountable, obviously, or receive the criticism that is inevitably going to come off the back of failing to reach that. But I think within the club, there will be a target. There has to be a target. You have to believe that although they may be sort of incompetent in certain areas, you have to believe that they're doing at least the basics, which would have been to set out strategy, which you've seen them try and implement this summer. Um, and then they'll have an objective which they want to reach off the back of implementing that strategy. So there will be a target within the club. Look, anything less than a top six finish this season is is not good enough for Arsenal. Let's be honest, we gave them a bit of a free ride last season because we understood a lot of the circumstances. We understood that there were still, uh, you know, a lot of issues stemming from the COVID pandemic as well as um, you know, other situations which we won't go into again. But now it's judgment day. You know, now is the time for Arsenal to deliver. And if they don't deliver, then Mikel Arteta's head could be on the chopping block very, very quickly. The fact that we haven't had the players available to us at the start of the season that we wanted, the fact that the team is going to look very, very different is why I've been reluctant to say you know, sack him. You know, I spoke after the Man City game and I was really emotional. And I said that, you know, maybe it is time to move him on. Maybe it is a, a job too big for him. And I still kind of feel that way. And now it's on Mikel Arteta and Arsenal to prove prove that feeling wrong or, you know, get rid of that doubt from my mind. But I do think that, I do think that when you look at the team that's probably going to play against Norwich, it's going to be very different. Will the performance be different? No guarantee. Will the result be different? There's no guarantee of that either. But I am just holding fire a little bit just to see how this team is going to fare. And look, if we see a dramatic improvement over the next three games, then and then that continues and continues and continues, then I think we can be realistic about looking back and saying, yeah, okay, you know, the start of the season wasn't ideal. We weren't prepared well. We had problems, but, you know, a lot of it was down to players being missing and the fact that we had a really difficult start in terms of the fixtures. So we'll kind of write that off and we'll move forward. But the other thing that you have to remember, and again, people will call me uh, all sorts of names for saying this and they'll say I'm accepting mediocrity and they'll say all of that usual stuff that gets thrown at me, which I'm quite frankly bored of. But you have to realise that Arsenal are playing in the toughest league in the world and Arsenal are among a group of teams looking to get into those European places. So there will be weekends where we lose, right? And it's important that we continuously, after those defeats, when we're full of emotion, step back and look at the bigger picture. If you get nine points from a, a possible 12, that's good enough, right? You can't expect Arsenal Football Club to win every single game and therefore there shouldn't be a meltdown every single time we fail to win a game. You can be reactive after the game and you can talk about that particular game and the things you were unhappy with and the things that frustrated you, but you need to always remember where we actually are and temper your expectations and your analysis and your reaction to kind of fit in line with that. Anise in the chat says... Um, would you say our season starts now? Yeah, I would have said our season started at Brentford and then I was willing to kind of write off the games against City and Chelsea, which I was. I'm not just saying it now that we lost. I said it at the start of the campaign. I said I expected three points from the first three games 
And those three points, in my mind, were going to come in the game against Brentford. So for me, the season really does start now. It's put us in a bad position. It's put us playing catch up, which is not ideal. But now we're going to judge. And, and you know, if as I say, if we do pick up two, three wins on the bounce and then we, we get a frustrating draw somewhere along the line, then I will look back and I'll look at those three games and I'll look at that run and I'll say, OK, you know, we took those points. That's about right for where Arsenal are at. Um, you know, I don't agree with where we're at now. I don't agree with Arsenal being 20th. Completely agree with that. But had, I don't know, for argument's sake, Everton been away to Brentford on their first game and then played Man City and Chelsea, they'd probably be bottom. So, you know, that that's all I'm saying. You have to look at the bigger picture of stuff. And uh, your reaction as football fans is naturally going to be based on emotion initially. But I think as that emotion subsides, you need to be able to look at the bigger picture. And being realistic is not accepting mediocrity. It's two very, very different things. You'll never catch me saying I want to see Arsenal outside of the Champions League. You'll never catch me saying that being bottom of the league is acceptable. But I will look at the bigger picture. And for me, it all starts next Saturday. And if, as I say, we don't see that improvement um, instantly, then I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be concerned. And I might get to that point very, very soon where I'm not just wondering if Mikel Arteta is, is the wrong man anymore. I'll be bloody sure of it. And I'll be just like everybody else kind of wanting for that sacking to happen. But let's, uh, as Edu says, look, he's come out, he's given the interview. People call it the PR machine and they moan about it. And, you know, we've all heard the same stuff that the critics are going to come out with. Um off the back of this interview in the next few days, we all we all know the drill, the PR machine, the club are pulling the wool over all of our eyes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We all know that's coming. Uh so when you know something's coming, you can brace yourself for it. That's how I see it. You know, if you if you're in a car crash, God forbid you're not and hope you never are, but if you can see it coming, you'd be able to put your position uh, body in a position and and be in a place where you can protect yourself against severe injury. If you're not, um, you know, if you're not expecting it, that's when you get caught off guard and that's where you can get really, really hurt. I don't know why I've used the car crash analogy. So morbid, a bit like Arsenal at the moment. But, you know, you know what I mean? If you can brace yourself for something, you can condition yourself to deal with it a little bit better. And uh, I think we've got to brace ourselves for the fact that over the course of the season, there will be defeats. It isn't always going to be plain sailing. We're not a good enough side to go on a 15-16 game winning run like Manchester City done last season or like Liverpool did the season before. So that's the reality of the situation. But you can sit there, you can slag off Edu, you can say that you don't like what he said. To a degree, I think you should always expect that people in senior positions um, at football clubs very rarely let the cat out of the bag, very rarely speak openly and frankly about what it is that's going on behind the scenes. And to be honest, that's the way to do it. Uh, but, you know, people talk about communication. They want communication. They want transparency. I'm not saying you should believe every word that comes out of the club, you know, and comes out of people like Edu and Vinay and Mikel Arteta at times as well. But you want the communication. There it is. And now I'm seeing people online saying, oh, what, what an idiot Edu is coming out and doing this interview. What is it that you bloody want? I don't understand. Right, let's take some of your questions uh, and some of your thoughts in the live comments section. We'll get through as many of those as we possibly can in the last 10 minutes or so of the stream. Uh, if you are watching us live at the moment, please do 
um, hit that like button. It really, really does help. Uh, as I've said on multiple occasions, it really boosts the channel up and boosts the video's visibility uh, on the platform. So please uh, do hit that like button. I can see there's over 400 of you watching at the moment, but there's only 88 likes on the board. There's a few dislikes as well, which have become the norm nowadays because um, people don't like that. I'm not shouting and swearing about Arsenal. It must be that. Uh, but yeah, hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you'd like to go one further and become a member, you can do so by clicking on the join button below the video. Or if you're listening via the audio, you can do it by clicking on the link in the description. Right. Uh, let's go over to the chat box and see what you guys are saying. Actually, before I do that, bloody hell, almost forgot. Don't forget that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, head over to their website, enter our discount code, which is 90min20, and you shall receive 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. I can assure you it's a fantastic product. And with our discount code, you stand to save yourself a fair amount of money. Join over 2 million men worldwide who are currently manscaping on a regular basis. And I promise you, your partners will thank you. Right, let's go back over uh, to the chat box then. Let's take some of these uh, some of these questions. Um, Inter says that COVID is a poor excuse now. Teams have spent massive amounts this summer. Do you agree? Um, I agree that Arsenal probably could have spent the money that they did spend better. Uh, I, I've I've said that for the last few weeks. I've said that I'm not sure if it's enough to to propel us to the level at which we need to be playing at immediately. So that is obviously a concern. You talk about clubs spending massive amounts this summer. Clubs in the Premier League have spent massive amounts this summer, and crazy oil funded clubs like Manchester City and, and Paris Saint-Germain and then the Roman Abramovich fund over at Chelsea, they can do that, right? Uh, Manchester United, huge, huge club, huge enterprise. They can do it too. Arsenal spent a fair bit of money as well. But what I'll always stick to the point is the the Premier League has been a lot less affected than everybody else. You haven't seen that money being exchanged in, in Spain. You haven't seen that money being ex exchanged in Italy, in Germany. Um, and ultimately, a lot of the players that we were looking to move on, it was always going to be to foreign clubs, which is why we've had a problem moving them on, not just because of their transfer fees, but because of their wages, because of the, the incredibly... OTT salaries that we've given some of these players, it then makes it tough to move them on. So, yeah, you know, the, the pandemic is not a sole excuse and it shouldn't be the sole reason. I, I will not accept that it's the sole reason Arsenal are where they are, but it has had an impact in, in us moving on players. Uh, you cannot deny that. Luke Williams says, why do you think some fans get on our new signings backs before we even sign them? Like the Ramsdale message like people messaging Ramsdale, telling him not to come because people are frustrated, Luke. And unfortunately, there are people in the world that don't know how to deal with that frustration and don't know how to channel it in the right way. Picking up your mobile phone, finding someone on social media, DMing them um, and almost trying to kill the excitement or, or, or trying to put a negative spin on them about to sign the biggest contract of their life and uh, about to embark on this new journey and, and it being the proudest moment of their footballing career is just being an arsehole, to be honest. Like, there's no other way of putting it. But unfortunately, people do that. And people 
have opinions, people have views, I have opinions, I have views, but I'm always mindful when giving my views that there are people that know much more than me. There are people that know much better than me. That's why they're in the jobs that they are in. And that's why I'm sitting here on YouTube. So it's very, very different uh, to kind of, or, or it's very, very easy to sit from the outside and, and poke at all the mistakes with hindsight. But actually being in that job is not that simple. Just because you do it one way doesn't mean it's the right way. Um, you know, and and people are very judgmental and stuff like that. But things like that, like you've mentioned, Luke, where people are kind of messaging Aaron Ramsdale, supposed Arsenal supporters messaging him, telling him don't come to the cup. I mean, what is that about? And then you wonder why the top players don't want to come in. You know, um, it's unacceptable. Agreed. Uh, Yo-Yo says, having thrown away the first month of the Prem, what is the minimum you expect and demand from Norwich, Burnley and Spurs? The minimum um, is seven points for me. But that seven points has to come in this way. It has to be Norwich, Burnley. I want six points from both of those games. Arsenal need to, to prove that they can beat those teams. And then a, if we drew with Spurs in a tight North London derby, it's not ideal. I'd like to beat them, obviously, but I would accept that as being acceptable. Anything less than seven points, though, for me, the pressure is still on. And, and so it should be. Uh, James Rowe says, is this interview part of a power struggle where Edu is saying he is doing the job the club have asked of him? I'm not sure it's a power struggle necessarily because I don't know who he'd really be struggling with because Vinay Venkateshim is not somebody who's going to, in my opinion, be overpowering in terms of his football ideology. But I think Edu and Arteta have probably gone to the ownership. They've gone to the board. They've made a this big plea for money this summer when we know that the club probably would have preferred and probably could have done without making this kind of investment, especially given, um, you know, especially given, you know, especially given it all that's gone on and, and that we didn't really make as much money as we'd have liked to have made from player sales. I think they, they're trying to justify what they're doing and, and they need to justify what they're doing because their bosses might be asking questions of them. They might not be because it's KSC, but you know what I mean? And and now they're getting asked the questions by the fans, the media, the pundits, everybody. And I think it was, I don't think it's part of a power struggle. I think it's Edu trying to kind of shut people down who say that Arsenal don't have a strategy. And there's been a lot of that in the media over the last few days. Martin says, Harry, your comment on Arsenal's tweet about winning 4-0 behind closed doors is rather questionable, bro. It was embarrassing from Arsenal to put it out there. Um, I said I was going to avoid the negative comments, but what is it that I like? What is it that I said that was questionable? I think I said it was good to see Ben White and Gabriel getting 90 minutes and good to see some of the players picking up some confidence. Like, like. Arsenal didn't put highlights out there. They didn't make a big deal about it. You didn't even know the game was going on until after it occurred. So I don't think they made a big thing of it. I think the game was staged to give some of those players some much needed fitness so that Mikel Arteta can get them back up to speed quicker because he knows that he needs them. He knows that he's in a precarious position. And if we get a few goals along the way, then great. You know, it's a bit of confidence. Let's see uh, what else we've got here. Um, people asking about the Antonio Conte rumour still going. Um, with that and for me it's just it's not happening it's, it's just not happening it's uh it's not something that it's not something that um that i can see materializing i gotta be honest uh 
<laughs> David Olatunji says that, Harry, do you think Arsenal fans hate positivity? It feels that way, doesn't it? Because if you are positive, you're deluded, apparently. And if you're negative, then, you know, that, that seems to be the way to go. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's just uh, quickly wrap up by saying a few hellos in the chat. Uh, big hello to Saul, who's joining us from Bolivia. I uh, hope you are well. Um, yeah, going to leave it there, I think. And uh, we will. Well, yeah. Let, let me say a few more hellos. Come on, there's, there's a few of you in the chat that I should. Andy Land, Sidant Rahul, uh, 4737, Carlin, Ashani. Hope you guys are all well. David Olatunji, Griefhampton, et cetera, et cetera. I hope you're all good. And uh, yeah, we're going to leave it there. I will catch you all uh, a little bit later on this weekend. So probably Sunday around about the same time I'll bring you guys uh, another show. We'll talk about whatever else materializes uh, or presents itself in the world of Arsenal between now and then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Enjoy your Saturday off from the Arsenal. Spend it with your friends. Spend it with your family. Enjoy yourselves. And I'll catch you all very soon. Until then, goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.